Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we're talking to Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's a senior vice president and head of esports and gaming for Encompass. Esports clients for Encompass include Activision, EA, YouTube Gaming, and many more. They also work with major brands like 7-Eleven and Toyota. Prior to joining Ed Compass, Ryan worked for Red Bull as global lead of video game marketing. But for the last decade, his career has seen him work at Ed Compass. Ryan, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. You started as the head of gaming and esports for Ed Compass in 2007. Can you take us back to the scene then? Who were some of your clients in those early days of esports? Wow. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh... It's, it's hard thinking back that long sometimes, but, um, you know, some of the first clients were, you know, actually the first client of Encompass was Best Buy. Uh, so when I first started at Encompass, I was working with our Best Buy team quite a bit to, um, you know, this was back in the days when a lot of the uh, brick and mortar retailers were still doing midnight openings and, uh, and big launch events around titles. So, you know, Best Buy would certainly be one of the ones that I worked with uh, quite regularly early on. I also brought some of my relationships from Red Bull over to Encompass, so it started working uh, on a couple programs with Red Bull in the in the early years of my Encompass time. Interesting. That, I just can imagine how that space fact that, yeah, game launches were so big. I've missed those days of going to the big box retailer to get a game, that anticipation of walking out of the store to go back to it. I boot a disc, the, the download and like buying it on, on a, on a online platform and then waiting for it to download just doesn't quite fill the same itch for me. No. And you know, it's, it's nice to not have the scarcity issue, um, and be concerned that you're not going to get the game that you really want. Um, but you know, it does take a really fun element off the table for, for marketers and experiential marketers because the, the, the immediacy and the, uh, necessity of being there at midnight is kind of off the table right yeah the there's always the people with cosplay who are dressed up for it it was always like an event and that's really cool i i wish we had more of that still how have you seen especially in this new age of gaming marketing how has that shift from from big uh retailers block retailers to downloads shifted how marketers approach game releases well, I mean, pre-orders are still a big indicator of game performance. So I think you know, publishers are really still looking for ways to boost their pre-order numbers. And we see that all the time with you know, every retailer, whether it be brick and mortar or an online retailer, has exclusive elements tied to, tied to the title, whether it be skins or first access to maps, what, uh, whatever it might be. So I think you know, there's a lot of emphasis put on developing the right suite of tools on the publisher side to then go shop to the retail partners to make sure that you're getting the sort of support that you need from your partners. Definitely. It's uh, it's something that you have to have. The the skins, the skin phenomenon is so crazy to me. Personally, I've never been about it, but so many people just are willing to drop hundreds of dollars on cosmetic skins. I never would have guessed, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly kind of an acquired taste. I think some people are really into it and it just doesn't even show up for, for others. But I mean, you know, I think if you look at the rise in microtransactions over the years, somebody's buying these skins. Um, that is, that's for certain. Um, you know, 
it's we know and in a lot of our work with uh experiential programs events things like that in the gaming and esports space we know that this consumer loves personalization so you know we're always looking to bring it into um our our real world events and our kind of hybrid digital and and physical events uh and it just makes perfect perfect sense because this is a consumer who's grown up with the opportunity to customize everything absolutely i guess i just never quite got into the phenomenon like you said people are buying them there is no doubt about that just because they don't appeal to me does not mean people are not spending hundreds upon hundreds upon probably up to thousands of dollars on skins all the time but i have a guy who just boots up rocket league throws a racing stripe on my octane and is like all right time to play 800 hours of the game that's all i need yeah, well, it makes the 800 hours, you know, you get some chances to mix up those 800 hours when you're when you're mixing up your skins. Absolutely, you do. Absolutely, you do. On the esports side specifically, how have you seen marketers' attitudes towards esports change? Over the last two years, as I've been covering this space for Adweek, there's been this massive amount of major brands coming into esports, be that the athletic apparel companies like Nike, Adidas, and Puma, be that all these car brands like BMW, Mercedes, even McLaren and Lamborghini. How have you seen uh, esports marketing change over the years, uh, back from those early days of MLG at the the hotel ballroom esports to the massive arenas of today? Yeah, I mean, I was certainly around in those early days um, that you referenced there. But and, you know, back in that time, I spent more of my time educating executives on the the promise and the importance and the relevancy of gaming and esports for them. And, you know, and it was with mixed results. I think, you know, what I always found is I always had the best luck explaining and, and engaging uh, executives if they if they had a teenage kid at home, you know, it, it became much more clear to them when, you know, if they could go home and see their kids watching videos of people playing video games on YouTube, then it started to click, um, you know, but if, if that wasn't the case, it, it was sometimes a, tr- a bit of a struggle. Like I, you know, certainly got asked many, many times, you know, are, are you talking about mathletes? Um, that that one I always stop. I'm like, no, we're not we're not talking about mathletes here. We're we're talking about you know top tier competitors in their respective discipline. Um, you know where I think it's gone now is any um, any organization any brand knows that gaming and esports is a thing, or I should say they they know that esports is a thing. Uh, you know, a lot of my education uh, that I'm doing now is trying to get people to see the difference between gaming in esports and know that, you know, one might make more sense for them than the other, or it might make perfect sense for them to kind of build out a, a platform that engages both gaming and esports. Um, you know, everybody, everybody knows about it now, but the, the challenge that I see is a lot of people are just using it as another way to uh, collect media impressions. And to me, Esports is so much more than impressions. Um, you know, we've got such a great way to connect to to an audience that's yearning for connection, that's hy- that that's hyper social, and that we know can be the biggest and best advocate for your brand if you deliver value on your side. Uh, so, you know, wh- one of the things that we're constantly looking for are like the right brand partners to kind of 
to dive into that with and, and help them explore what it is that they can bring to the scene to provide added value to and use that as a way to kind of cement the relationships with consumers. That's really interesting. I'd love to get a better look inside your mind as you come to a new client. So say a new brand comes to work with you and they know they want to be involved in the gaming and esports world. You mentioned how there's a big difference between gaming and esports, which is, you know, one of the classic differentiators you have to make for somebody who doesn't quite understand this space is uh, just how different being in game is versus being part of an esports broadcast. They're drastically different avenues. How do you help direct a new brand who wants to do a gaming and esports strategy into what area is right for them, be it an in-game activation, be it uh, an esports, classic esports sponsorship, something like that. What are you looking for to make sure you find the right fit for a new client? It's a great question. Um, you know, I think for us, the the first question is, why are we talking about gaming and esports? Is this a directive that's been passed down through the organization? Is it something that the person we're dealing with uh, face-to-face is is personally passionate about, um, try to understand the motivations there w- with the client or the partner, and then understand who they are, who they think they're going to target with a gaming and esports program. Because you know we know that the the audiences vary from title to title, genre to genre, um, platform to platform. Whether we're talking about PC or a mobile gamer, you get a much different audience. So. To, to us, it's really about trying to figure out, um, trying to align on expectations because I think a lot of uh, a lot of people who are busy brand marketers have a lot of other things on their plate. Come into the gaming space with a certain uh, kind of a, some preconceived notions, and you know it's 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 our job to try and align those and and try to figure out what it is exactly that they're trying to achieve. What are some of those preconceived notions that you see pop up for marketers all the time? At Adweek, it's been a key focus of the Adweek editors to be like, hey, here's how marketers see this space. Again, talking very generally as you, uh, when you work for a marketing publication, you have to. What are some of those preconceived uh, notions about this space that you see coming up again? Some that are accurate and maybe some that are, that are less than accurate. I mean, there's, there's usually truth to some of these, um, but I mean, it's... It, it really depends. I think some of the ones that we see and hear the most often are gaming and esports is for kids. Well, sure it is, but it's also for adults. You know, we see the 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 age range, and again, you know, going back, knowing that certain titles and certain genres um, are a little bit different. You know, we can if if a partner wants to target a you know younger kids in the age range, call it you know maybe. 14 to 16, we can align on the right titles and the right platforms for them to to look at and then build out experiential and engagement campaigns from there. If, you know, if they, what they realize is they're looking for a young professional who's into consumer electronics and has some uh, discretionary income, we might push them in a little bit of a different direction. But, you know, age is the first one. Um, you know, everybody is a gamer in some way, shape or form, and you can kind of slice and dice the data, um, in, in a lot of different ways. So we try and figure out, okay, what, what is your actual target audience? Um, the other one would be, um, that it's all male. 
Um, it certainly leans heavily male, but there are a handful of other titles and genres that we can look at if you're trying to develop more of a, uh, of a gaming audience that happens to be more female. Um, there's certainly plenty of opportunities in that space. Um, and, you know, I think the third one that I probably take the, the most offense to is that esports Esports players, esports fans are sedentary and non-social when in, you know, all of the evidence suggests and all of the anecdotal evidence I have also suggests that's not the case at all. They're highly social and most people who are into esports are into competition. So they're much more like your traditional sports fans in some ways than you might think. Um, they just, you know, I think they consume their media in, in different ways. The antisocial stereotype has always been so wild to me. I don't know how it is that somebody can watch six hours of Netflix and not be labeled antisocial versus somebody playing a battle royale with their friends and talking the entire time. It makes absolutely no sense. And I think just stems from, like your point, a misunderstanding of what gaming is at its very core. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the movie example is uh, is is perfect. I mean, you're literally going into something where you're encouraged to not speak. You're given sideways glances if you do. Yeah, nobody refers to them as antisocial. Um, yeah, you know, we've got gamers who are on headset with voice chat while they're on a Discord channel and texting with other people, probably on Instagram or Twitter at the same time. I mean, they couldn't. It, it, you know, the gaming audience couldn't be more social. Definitely. It's, uh, and you're right, anecdotally, every gamer, even the, even the games that get the most outstanding, like, nerd designation, and I play these games, so don't think I'm talking crap about anybody, uh, like World of Warcraft, for example, one of the most communicative games that's ever existed as you all try and uh, raid a boss or you play with people like that. These games are all just these massive online multiplayer experiences as they say in their name and so it's pretty crazy the ways that gaming is and the ways the stereotypes have permeated through through the years even still being upheld by some people and i really do think this new age of gamers like you mentioned how people who have teenagers suddenly understand gaming a lot more because they actually see how it works in practice they see that they're uh their kids are getting on it afterwards and they're playing with their friends. They're not playing with random people. Maybe they are, but generally they're playing with their friends from school because that's what they like to do. Just in the last few days, I've spent three hours playing with my best friend from college on Rocket League. I've been co-opting runs with my brother. Social media gets a lot of credit for keeping us all connected. In my opinion, gaming does a much better job of keeping us connected to the people, especially during this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a... Um... I have two siblings, but my youngest brother is quite a bit younger than I am. He's 15 years younger than I am. So I was long gone from home uh, on the West Coast. He was back on the East Coast as he was um, growing up in, in junior high. And, you know, I we used mostly Halo and Madden as ways to communicate because um, he was horrible on the phone. So in order to actually have a little bit of a relationship with my younger brother, I would use video games and we would, we would, we would talk online. And that's, you know, that's, I think there are much more of those relationships out there than, um, than gaming gets credit for. 
Definitely. My brother is is quite similar, not quite the same age gap, but a, but a sizable one. And it's always been hard to reconnect when I live in a different city. And gaming is the way of doing it. We play Hearthstone, but I also get a pepper and some questions. So how's college going? So so what's going on with you? And it's it's always been something I've really been appreciative for because it gives you that activity to do, the thing to do together while still staying social, being able to catch up with him as well. So it, it's been pretty great. Specifically during this pandemic, it's really been heightened as social media has become even a more toxic place than it already was. I've been so anti-social media for for a while now. Uh, But during the pandemic, it's really been heightened for some very valid reasons. Uh, How have you seen marketers and uh, gamers really evolve during this pandemic? It seems like gaming has taken on this much larger role in mainstream culture. Just today, uh, we've seen marketers probably have their hair on fire as the Big Ten just canceled their entire college football season. And a lot of marketing plans are built around the traditional sports schedule. How have you seen marketers embrace esports as sports have been on hiatus or on incredibly shaky ground for an extended period of time? It's probably a bit of a mixed bag. I think, you know, mentioned earlier, um, there's a, a lot a lot of marketers look at, at esports as a just another place to get media impressions. And I think you, we do see a lot of that. It was just quick dump some of your buy from over here into our, into a, an esports program. And, you know, on one hand, I think that's, that's fine because it's, it's supporting the esports industry. It's providing some much needed revenues for, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, it's providing some much needed revenues for the, uh, kind of tournament organizations, the competitive leagues and such who aren't necessarily flourishing as much as the gaming publishers are. Um, so that part's great, but you know, it's, it's a little short-sighted and I'm hoping that we'll, what we'll start to see is more brands come in and, and again, start to look at where they can add value, like where they can help, um, build up this, this uh, scene in a way where the players benefit from it and aren't just um, kind of exploited in a way that the viewers benefit from it and aren't just, you know, another set of eyeballs. Like where can, where can brands come in and, and make things better? Um, where can they come in and connect our, our viewers and our fans with the players in, in, in new ways? Uh, I think, you know, what's really interesting right now is people are yearning for connection and, you know, the, the things like zoom calls and voice chats and things like that, those don't feel new to the gaming audience. Gamers have been doing this for quite some time. So, you know, they, they lean into these things pretty easily. So when NBA 2K starts doing players tournaments and, you know, all of the racing organizations start um, replacing all of their, uh, you know, IRL races with, uh, with sim races, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's bringing some gaming audience into the traditional sports space, but hopefully it's also exposing more of these traditional sports fans to the power of gaming. And, you know, my hope is that brands will, will see that and help amplify that and, and we'll be better off as a gaming and esports industry in a year or two years from now than we would have been, you know, uh, just six months ago. It really feels like there's been at least some changes. And yeah, all the athletes, the celebrities playing video games has been quite interesting. Well, esports hasn't missed a beat. It's allowed so many 
I guess you're right. There's brands that have done sponsorships and I've been trying to talk to them about this and they're just not willing to talk to me for grabbing. Like, so what's your esports strategy? And I think it's to your point, they just had an ad buy. There's really not a ton of strategy for them to talk about and they don't want to highlight that. They're just like, oh, we had money set here and now it's here. We just, we're just trying to figure out where we want to place this. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but that's, that's great. They've got, they're dipping their toe in right now, um, right. you know, and and you have to start somewhere. But yeah, my my fear is is that we start to see some kind of short lived success, or they base all of their benchmarks on this kind of high water mark right now when there's not much other competition with other traditional sports. And then as the you know more entertainment opportunities come online, uh, we may st- start to see. Uh, you know, the, the esports world kind of level out and do those brands then jump ship and go back to their traditional stick and ball sports activations, or do they stick with gaming and esports and continue to build, you know, that's, that's what we're excited about is just finding some of these brands that, that may have quickly, you know, to use the overused term may have quickly pivoted into the esports space, you know, did the media buy you know, maybe started to support a team. And now they're looking at themselves saying, now what, where do we go from here? Um, you know, it's a, it's a great point to, you know, in, engage in an agency and start to develop a serious uh, strategy that'll take you through these next 12, 18 or 24 months. Definitely. Is this a stopgap or is this permanent? That's the, that's the key question. I think a lot of the esports and gaming audience is waiting to see before we necessarily give full support to any brand that is the space because the gaming audience has been quite receptive to brands in the past. If the brand to your point shows an understanding is additive to the overall experience, gaming and esports audiences can really embrace brands in a way that you don't usually see in traditional sports. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, for a long time, brands coming into esports added a level of legitimacy to esports. I think, I think everybody can can agree to the fact that esports is a legitimate pastime. It's a legitimate pursuit. It's a legitimate business opportunity. So I don't think you know we require these brands to come on um, to legitimize uh, esports anymore. But to your point, the gaming audience is certainly open to brands as long as if as long as it's a two way relationship. If it feels like the brand is coming in and exploiting the the consumer, like you'll know about it and you'll know about it quickly uh, and you'll know about it everywhere uh, because the gaming audience is not quiet about that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's why I think it's important to be careful with this kind of toe dipping mentality because it can, it can feel opportunistic um, if it's not backed up with some additional efforts by a brand. And, you know, what I think, Esports fans want to see is a more holistic approach to to uh, an esports marketing strategy, whether they realize it or not. I think they're looking for, you know, a brand to be involved with with teams and leagues. They're looking for a brand to be involved with creators and players. They're they're looking for that same brand to find ways to do things on an amateur level, so that they're hitting all of these different kind of. Uh, realms of the industry to show a consistent level of support uh, across the board, as opposed to just coming in and, and cherry picking where you can get the best viewership. 
Definitely. It has to be more than that. One of my favorite uh, snippets about this brand marketing in esports came from Paul Brewer. He's the head of brand partnerships for ESL. And he was he was on this podcast uh, probably about almost a year ago now, talking about how a DHL partnership and how the crowd at one point started chanting DHL, DHL, which is so foreign to think about for a traditional sports fan that one of the sponsors, there's so many logos around a stadium for the fans to actually embrace one of the sponsors to the level that they're chanting it out. He re- he said he remembers talking to the DHL rep who was just mind blown that this was something that could happen at an esports event. And I thought that was a really interesting way of looking at, hey, this is how big this could be and how impactful this could be for your brand if it's approached in the right way. On that note, I want to ask you if you could highlight a couple great marketing strategies, some examples. So I want you to give me one that you've worked on, uh, one that's come from you, a brand strategy you're particularly proud of, and then one that's also come out of somewhere else that you saw were like, oh, that was it's a great activation. That's a great strategy. Uh, it's been very well received. Um, all right. Well, if I start with the one that we've been involved in, um, you know, I think I've used this example before, but it's it's a great one for me because it's a, an encapsulation of like all of the things that we do at Encompass all in one program. And that would be a, a program we did with Activision called Call of Duty XP. Um, and what that is, it's a multi-day celebration of the Call of Duty franchise where we would bring out thousands of Call of Duty fans to get early access to the game to be part to uh, be part of these immersive experiences inspired by games. So these things that you know essentially only Call of Duty could provide. So a twenty versus twenty uh, playable paintball course uh, inspired by Nuketown uh, that also happens to have a twitch controlled paintball turret in the middle of, of the field. So that people, people, yeah. So people watching on Twitch who couldn't make it to the event still had a way to participate by randomly. Um, getting assigned the opportunity to control that uh, that turret during each match. Um, you know, we had the Call of Duty Championships uh, the, take place um, at COD XP. We had massive music performances by people who are involved with and attached to the Call of Duty franchise. Um, you know, really looking for ways to bring the community together. That's one of the things that we see all the time is, you know, these, these gaming communities are massive. And, and largely exist online. And if we give them opportunities to come together, uh, you know, they typically jump at that, uh, at that opportunity. And the, the stuff that you see from them, the, the content that they create on their own, the, the level of kind of buzz and excitement around the title or the brand or the franchise, you know, it, it's, it's something you can't get any other way than by just creating these opportunities for people to come together and celebrate the thing that they're most passionate about. So I think that Call of Duty XP would be certainly one of the ones that we've worked on. Um, you know, other ones that I've seen, it's tough. There are a lot of, there are a lot of great ones out there. I think, um, you know, to your point earlier on DHL, Paul and the team at ESL has done some great stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really watching a lot of what the automotive brands are doing right now. And um, they're all taking slightly different approaches and they're all doing it with um, slightly different motivations. The ones that are interesting, and this 
This also may apply to um, some financial services company to, companies too. The ones that I think are doing it right are focused less on immediate returns on their investment and looking at it as a long-term brand building play. So, you know, a lot of the a lot of the uh, auto companies, like you could you could use BMW or Mercedes. There's a certain thought that the audience that they're talking to right now is probably not at a point where they're going to purchase that vehicle, but they will be down the road when a new job comes into play, when they build a family, whatever it happens to be. And it's the same thing with, you know, you see companies like Rocket Mortgage playing a big part in the space. And you wonder how many of their, you know, their esports audience are currently looking for a mortgage. Well, probably not <laughs> a ton of them, but when they do look for a mortgage in, you know, five, seven, 10 years, there's going to be one name that's, that's top of mind for them. So, you know, I really like paying attention to some of the, some of those brands and some of those companies who I think are investing in gaming and esports and for the long term. BMW strategy was one of my favorite I've covered for Adweek. I've done 70 articles for Adweek, something like that. Uh, about probably 20 to 30 specifically focused on the gaming world. BMW strategy was really cool. And the spokesperson whose name I'm blanking on right now, I'm sorry, man. His, his quote was, uh, people don't buy a BMW. They don't wake up one day and decide to buy a BMW. Buying a BMW starts the poster on the bedroom wall. That's what we're looking to do. And we want to make sure that people are thinking about buying a BMW for years before they ever get in a position to buy a BMW. Because those kind of decisions uh, start with a little seed in the back of their brain and don't take root, like you said, for a long time afterwards. So I thought that was really cool. And the other cool thing they did was turn the content over to the esports organizations to be like, hey, you could take our brand and start making content around BMW because you understand our audience and we just trust you to make that content. And that was something that I feel like brands always want to be very hands-on, obviously. And so letting the esports organizations be like, okay, have free rate. Here's here's some BMWs, film stuff with your players, make content. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think that's huge. Um, you know, one of the big things for us is, as we talk with brands entering into the space is there needs to be a certain level of trust and there needs to be a certain level of collaboration and partnership, um, especially if you're a non-endemic brand to the gaming space coming into it, just brand new, trying to do that on your own just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Partnering with other brands who have been in the space, who have established their credibility already, who you can kind of borrow some of that credibility as you develop your own, uh, that's super key uh, in our mind. And, you know, I think looking at brands like BMW and, and seeing how they're willing to kind of, you know, to, pardon the pun, turn over the keys to their content, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's why they start to see this sort of success. And it also begets more esports brands who want to work with you. So if you can show yourself as a great partner where, where brands endemic to the space start to seek you out, not just because they think you might write them a check, but because you, they think that you'll actually do really cool, great stuff that will embrace their audience. Uh, that's ultimately where you want to be. Definitely. Turns the key over was literally my headline for that Adweek article. So I oh. don't pardon the pun. It's a good pun. <laughs> we're, we're running with it. All right. <laughs> 
So I want to wrap up this show here. Be conscious of your time. I know you got some more things to do and a bunch of news just broke, which I'll, I'll tell you after the show. But uh, there's uh, the last thing I want to talk about is brand safety. It's something that I think could come up uh, around those misconceptions around video games. Have you seen marketers' attitudes towards what games they will they want to be a part of evolve at all? Or is there still a divide between what, how they see video games and what they're comfortable with? It's been some articles I've talked to, and I know it's always top of mind for a lot of brands as they look at gaming. It's like, well, can we partner with a game like Call of Duty? Can we do a CSGO or not? And the answer is sometimes yes and sometimes no. Have you seen attitudes evolve on that front at all over the 10, 12 years you've worked for Encompass? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they've evolved. Um, we still we still have some challenges there. I think there is a you know a, a, across a lot of companies, there's some concern about working with games that are perceived as violent video games. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting. I, you know, prior to Encompass, I was at Red Bull, and you know, I ran into that challenge quite a bit as we we're you know exploring programs with CS:GO, yet. Halo was okay because they were aliens, but I was sitting in a in a conference room named after a bomber plane, arguing <laughs> that we should allow kids to play video games that might have some violent elements to them. It was it was a very interesting conversation that uh, was not lost on me at the time. Um, I think it's I think it's gotten better. I think you know attitudes have have shifted. I think. Brands understand that the people who are playing these video games are competitors first and foremost. And I think we've lost some of the stigma of like the, um, you know, the, the kind of more the, the goth styled gamer who might have some other things going on. I think people have lost that for the most part and are starting to see gamers as, you know, valuable contributors to society and and top tier competitors in their own right you know i also think that there are a lot of great organizations out there using gaming for good um i'm also on the board of gamers outreach foundation um, where we work with the gaming community and the gaming industry to raise funds to build go-karts which are um, portable gaming carts medical grade um, gaming carts that uh, we donate to children's hospitals around the country. So we're, and there are a slew of other great organizations out there leveraging the gaming community to, to do good in the world. I think the more that we can showcase those sort of things, um, you know, the, the easier it becomes to kind of, uh, kind of overcome the, the stigma of games being violent. Absolutely. Game publishers, too, are doing a good job of toning it down slightly. We've come a long way since the games like Doom, even Call of Duty 10 years ago, was a much grittier game than it is right now in the way it operates. Games like Fortnite, uh, taking out references to kill or death, helps bring brands in because for some reason these are sticklers. Like you mentioned, it's uh, not always the most consistent take you know you look at a brand like gillette who i really enjoy and i appreciate the time they've given me uh who sponsors the new england patriots football stadium where people bash their heads together but won't do a call of duty activation which they've said uh they've told me on the record and so it's 
slightly odd, but also that's sort of just how we have to live in this current world of gaming where people don't totally understand it. They see a gun on screen and they're like, no, 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 or that. It's not worth it to us. So it's quite interesting uh, to think about. And again, attitudes are evolving. People are seeing these as more competitive experiences than just the pure things. And publishers are toning it down a little bit, bringing it back, bringing brands in, making sure we can find a happy medium where they don't compromise the game and what the game's about, but still can maybe smooth over some of those concerns if possible. So thank you so much for joining the show, Ryan. It was great talking to you. I love talking esports marketing. It's always a blast. I want to give you one final chance. Could you plug uh, some upcoming activations, Encompass's work, or whatever you want people to be on the lookout for or following going forward? Sure. Um, well, I think in terms of Encompass, you can find us at encompassonline.com or encompassintl on Instagram. Those are probably the best places to kind of keep up with what we're up to. Um, we do have a couple programs coming up over these next couple of weeks, and our teams are really busy. Um, well, spread, I was going to say back at the office, but spread all over the place working on these programs. Um, you know, first, we've got the EA Sports FIFA 20 eChampions League Invitational, which uh, takes eight uh, of the past FIFA Global Series winners. And we're doing a fully remote tournament of champions August 20th through 22nd. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, last, last year we did that in Madrid, uh, the day before the actual champions league this year, we're doing it as a fully remote, um, and distributed, uh, broadcast. Uh, so bit of a different approach. And then shortly after we wrap that one up, we've got the, uh, mythic invitational 2020, which is a four day live remote tournament, uh, where the best magic, the gathering arena competitors around the world face off alongside Magic Pro League and Rivals League competitors for $250,000 in prizes and an invite to their season grand finals. So a lot of, lot of tournament action coming up, uh, a lot of remote broadcasts, and yeah, we're excited for a big fall. Absolutely. Really excited to, to see some of those activations. If you want to learn more about that EA event, uh, you're going to be listening to this podcast uh, the week after so before the 20th for sure it'll be up uh but the last podcast on this feed is one with todd citrin ea's vice president of competitive events and he talks about that fifa event and some of the cool activations that ea is doing the role of sports sim in modern esports so if you enjoyed this interview with ryan go check out that show with todd it was an all-encompassing look at sports sims and ea uh, for better or for worse so thank you ryan for joining the show it was great talking to you Thanks very much. Great talking to you too.